One year at Christmas, we had, had loaded the, the car that evening and were preparing to, to leave on our way to drive about two and a half hours to visit my parents. And our kids were strapped in the car and Johnny and I were making our last check of the house, making sure that the heat was turned down, no candles were burning. When into the house walked our four-year-old, Jason. Surprised, I asked, what are you doing? He said, I, I came to see what was taking so long. I said, I, you should stay with your sister and look after her. He said, I locked the door so she'd be safe. <laughs> That's when I realized that both sets of keys were locked in the car with our 15-month-old daughter, Jennifer. With only a few days until Christmas, I hoped that the locksmith would have some of the Christmas spirit. For the next hour and a half, my wife and I stood outside the car and desperately tried to entertain our daughter who was snugly strapped in, in her car seat. As the locksmith handed me the pricey bill for his evening emergency road call service to our house, I can't be certain, but I'm pretty sure I heard him mutter, oh, humbug, under his breath as he, he drove away and, and departed and we started our delayed departure. <clears throat> well, well, desperate times call for desperate measures. You know, we had sung songs, we had held up toys, we had chanted, we, we did whatever we could to distract little Jennifer and keep her from crying. I want you to understand today that we live in desperate times, dark times. And this morning, <clears throat> we continue in our Christmas star message series, and we are reminded that Jesus is the star who provides promise. You see, Jesus offers us hope to overcome the darkness in our lives. So the first thing I want you to see is that the world can be a very dark place. All one has to do is watch the news to be reminded of that fact, and it seems sometimes as we approach Christmas that uh, sometimes some of that darkness even intensifies. This week marks the anniversary of the official end of the war in Iraq, some eight years after the capture of Saddam Hussein, ending his reign of terror. This modern-day Hitler was involved in the torture and or execution of an estimated 300 to 500,000 of his own countrymen. This is the anniversary of a story that surfaced centering on, on Jerry Sandusky, the assistant coach at, at Penn State who faced 52 counts of uh, abusing young boys. This week is the anniversary of, of Eve Carson, University of North Carolina student who was kidnapped, forced to empty her bank accounts. She gave the money to her captors. She begged them to spare her life and asked them to pray with her. One of the captors shot her four times and the other put a fatal bullet in her head. And each account is a story of how dark the human soul can become when deprived of divine light. And to this dark planet, came the light of the Christmas star, Jesus, who provides promise, lighting our way amidst the darkness of a sin-soiled society. 
Listen to how the Apostle John begins his gospel, referring to Jesus as the Word. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, if you're following along. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that light, life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. That last phrase describes the world in which we live. Devoid of light, the light of the Lord, darkness seems to prevail. Sinfulness and evil prefer the cover of darkness to the exposure of light. In John chapter 1, we don't think of it often as a Christmas passage, but it is. It's describing Jesus' arrival. And in unmistakable terms, the Apostle John clearly declares the pre-existence of Christ, even before the world began. He emphasizes Jesus' role in creating the world. That John 1 passage is consistent with what we find in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, or Colossians 1, 13 and 17, or Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. They all talk about the role of Jesus in creation. R.C. Foster, one of the founders of Cincinnati Bible College, said that the life of Christ has no beginning. He is eternal, without beginning or end. And John deliberately quotes Genesis 1-1, this first verse in the Bible, and begins this narrative where the Bible begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Both Moses, the author of Genesis, and John affirmed their miraculous inspiration in the very first words that they record. These were more than finite men, and they knew this only because of God's direct revelation to them and, and guidance of them. And so the claim of Christ's divine equality is clear in John chapter 1. There's some religions today, some cults that will falsely teach that Jesus was a son of God, just as all people are children of God, but that's not the assertion that the Bible makes. It clearly declares that Jesus is God's son, that he is deity in the same way that God the Father is deity, that Jesus is eternal, that he is preexistent, a direct force of the creation of the world. He is the same in essence as God. In John chapter 14, verse 9, Jesus asserted, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus offers us the hope to overcome the darkness in our lives, in our world, and realizing that the world can be a very dark place that leaves no life unscarred. That darkness of the soul affects us all. But before we become too quick to point an accusing finger at the the manifest wrongs of others, we would do well to look in the mirror and 
recognize the sinful weakness, desiring to take up residence and exhibit dominance in, in each of us. We all must admit our carnal bent towards sin and that the world can be a, a dark place. We all have that capacity to veer toward darkness. Almost 20 years ago, I had a chance to uh, see the movie The Passion of the Christ in a, a pre-screening for 4,500 ministers and Christian leaders with producer Mel Gibson present. And so before the, the movie was presented to the public, uh, we, we had a chance to view that and, and have a dialogue with, with the producer. And at that time, there were some non-Christian critics of this outreach film that had been quick to speculate that the accurate scriptural representation of the events leading up to the crucifixion might spark some anti-Semitism or, or retribution against Jews. After the, the screening, Danae Dobson, the daughter of Dr. James Dobson, was interviewed, and she said something to this effect. I came away not with a sense that Christ's death was caused by the Jews, but that Christ's death was caused by me. I am to blame. And when we assess our own iniquity, our own greed, our own pride, our own lust, our own corruption, our own unforgiving disobedience, we will be left with that same conclusion. John 3.19 states, Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Darkness conceals, light reveals. Those who are involved in wrongdoing are afraid of the light. That hasn't changed. We, we have security lights for that very reason. The world apart from Christ is a very dark place. There's a, a praise chorus, Here I Am to Worship, and it reminds, Light of the world, you came down to the darkness. Open my eyes, let me see. And that's the second truth that John chapter 1 teaches, that Jesus came to light the darkness and offer hope. We studied in last week's message about how Jesus, the star of peace, came to offer not a political peace, but a spiritual peace to all people. And understanding the needs of people as only their creator could, Jesus, the star of promise, sought to offer hope to individuals who felt that all was dark and all hope was lost. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptizer, was used by God to, to pave the way for the light of the world, Jesus, who was coming with a message of hope. And so we return to our text here in, in John chapter 1. Let's pick up in verse 6. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John, John the baptizer. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself, John, was not the light, 
he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That last phrase there, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. His own did not receive him. Describes how it is with many today. I remember when we were on our honeymoon, Johnny and I stopped by Carter Caves State Park in Kentucky. Some of you have maybe been there, and we took a tour of the X Cave, and it was named the X Cave because there were two passages that intersected in a, in a central hallway of that cave and formed an X. The, the tour guide turned off the power switch, leaving our group in complete, utter darkness. There was no natural lighting sifting through from any cracks above. You couldn't see your hand in front of you. And the tour guide waited, pausing for dramatic effect. And all I could think of was, I really don't want to spend the rest of my honeymoon stuck in this cave. (laughs) Finally, he threw the light switch handle and restored this abundant lighting to the cavern that had been previously just a, a darkened passageway. And there was this striking difference, this visual day and night, this noticeable change. And that's what the scripture describes is to take place in each of our lives, this virtual darkness to light switch after we become followers of Christ. Here the author John, the the beloved apostle, wrote about John the baptizer who, who came to set the stage for the arrival of Jesus on earth. And Jesus was that true light who gives light to all. Jesus came to deliver us from the X cave, to get us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we still use that expression today. Well, there's a difference between day and night to describe this transformational shift uh, of great significance. And there should be a marked difference in each of us when we surrender our lives to the Lord. There'll be an obvious change in our behavior, in our priorities, in our purpose, in our lives. Our lives BC, before Christ, are concerned with satisfying ourselves. And our new walk with Christ after we commit our lives to him, we fully surrender our lives in Christian baptism, then we're living to serve others. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the the first century church in the city of Ephesus. And they lived in a very cosmopolitan culture that, that was pagan, promiscuous, and materialistic. Not unlike our American culture today. I want you to listen to his call to them to live lives worthy of the calling of Christ. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 8. For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, 
righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. One of the nicknames used in Scripture for Christians is children of light. And what Paul told the early believers in Ephesus is the same thing he wants to tell us today. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. Live like children of light. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So then live like it. You've been changed. So live like it. You've been transformed. So live like it. From the dark ages to having the power of electricity to light your life. Why would you ever choose to return to the darkness? And so the question that we each must ask as we take self-inventory is, is there a visible difference in my life from the life of someone who has not surrendered his or her life to Christ? There should be. Our speech, our thoughts, our entertainment, our, our time, our spending should all reflect that we are walking in the light. And the star who provides promise is Jesus. And he wants to help us overcome the darkness in our lives. And so John, the author of this gospel, also wrote three letters that were circulated among the, the early churches in the first century. In his first letter, he made the statement in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, still emphasizing this striking contrast that should be apparent in our lives. He said, this is the message we have heard from God and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie. And we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice, his son, purifies us from all sin. Again, here's the contrast. Light and darkness, right and wrong, good and evil, day versus night. And what sets us apart from the rest of the world is how we live. And if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him. The third truth we need to learn from John chapter 1 is that hope surrounds us if we walk in his light. Again, this world is a dark, difficult place, and it's very easy to, to get demoralized, to get depressed, to get discouraged, to become despondent. And what offsets that is the hope that is available to us that will surround us if we walk in his light. The, the first chapter of the Gospel of John concludes with these words starting in, in verse 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word Remember, that's that reference for Jesus in the first verse. 
the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's why this is a Christmas passage. Jesus came to earth that first Christmas and became one of us. He lived here, experienced all the ups and downs that we experience, and he, he wasn't just some detached deity, distantly observing from, uh, from heaven, but he came here and, and lived among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In that sentence, the word became flesh and, and made his dwelling among us. He took on a physical body and, and lived here on earth. In the original language, it's saying Jesus pitched his tent with us. He left the heavenly Hilton to go camping here on earth and sleep on the hard ground. And sometimes the soil of our human hearts is very hardened. And the Apostle John, who wrote these words, was closer to Jesus than anyone else on earth. He knew Jesus better than any other person. And he summed it up by saying, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from God, full of grace and truth. I'm sure everyone in this room is familiar with the classic Bible verse, John 3.16. It appears on a poster at every major sporting event, and it's one of the first verses that Christian parents teach their children. And it states, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's John 3.16. But you may not be as familiar with the next verse, John 3.17. Listen to what it says. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Christ's mission was not one of condemnation, but of reconciliation. This star came to shine the light, to, to offer us hope, the, the promise that the hope surrounds us if we will walk in his light. I love how C.S. Lewis summarized Christmas in, in one succinct phrase when he said, the Son of God became a man so that men might become the sons of God. That's it. That captures what this wonderful season reflects. Listen to the words of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, verse 19. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. If you were here last week, you may remember we learned that the expression, the bright and morning star, found in Revelation 22:16, was a reference to Christ. He was referred to as the bright and morning star. And so with that context in mind, listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, verse 6. He said, for, for God who said... 
let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Consider how the Apostle Peter described this darkness to light transformation, this transition in, in 1 Peter 2.9. He said, but you are a chosen people, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out to his wonderful light. I'm going to ask our, our worship team to, to come forward right now as we prepare for the, the invitation song. And I want to ask everyone a question. Have you ever taken part in a scavenger hunt? You know, there are a lot of various items that are needed to be found and then checked off the list and, and so on. So some of us have the incorrect impression that going to heaven is pretty much like completing a scavenger hunt list. The checkoff. Attend one hour of worship. Check. Give 10% of my income to the, the church. Check. Join a, a life group or a Bible study. Check. Help volunteer or serve. Check. Go on a short-term mission trip. Check. And as we complete our scavenger hunt list, we, we may silently reason to ourselves, I should look pretty good to God. I mean, actually... He's very lucky to have me on his team. When in reality, we don't serve God to gain his approval. We serve him because through his grace, he's already granted us his approval. And we serve him because we want to say, thank you. We assemble each week to worship because he has done so much for us and our, our hearts are, are brimming. We want to give back our praise and our gratitude to him. We honor him by giving the first tenth of our income because we want others to experience him and we determine to live on less in order to give away more. We grow in the context of community, building deeper relationships and, and learning spiritual truth in a, in a small group setting. We discover that serving the needs of others and thinking less of ourselves is a more fulfilling way to live. We value how blessed we are when we serve the less fortunate in a foreign land. And, and somehow we benefit more than the individuals that we are trying to bless. So let's admit we can never be morally good enough to earn our salvation. And we'd have to be sin free. And we all fall abysmally short of God's standard of perfection. We can never obligate God to save us just because we haven't, just because we have done some good deeds or, or efforts. It, it doesn't work that way. So salvation is not a scavenger list. It, it more resembles a Savior's love, offering us another chance at a meaningful life. Jesus alone can offer us hope beyond this life. The star of promise holds out that good news. Haven't you lived in the darkness for too long? Would you stand right now as we sing?